The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads. Pay no attention to those voices in your head, uh, except for mine, of course. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 338 with guest Mark Miller, recorded live Monday, April 7, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who'll never forgive airport security for confiscating his beignets, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. Richard Campbell in Vancouver, British Columbia, as we are every week. Indeed. And it's a Thursday show. It's our Thursday show, yeah. We have the wacky antics of Mark Miller coming up. But first, let's get into Better Know Framework. All right, sir, what do you got for me? So Tuesday, we talked about system.io.path. Now I want to talk about system.io.directory info. Oh. And remember last week, we talked about the file info class. Yeah. Now, uh, well, it's the same idea if you want information about a directory. So when you create a directory info object uh, on the specified path, then you have... Uh, all sorts of information you can call uh, the most common one that I use is get files, which returns an array of file names from the current directory. And of course, you can pass a mask. Right. You can also call get file system infos, which retrieves an array of strongly typed file system info objects representing those files and subdirectories of the current directory. So if you want more information about each of those files in that directory, you don't have to call, you know, File info, get a file info for every one of them. Cool. So, Richard, you got an email? I do indeed. And, you know, actually, we've had a bit of a storm of email recently. Uh, the show we did with John Zuck around OOXML, 
I know we've done political shows before, but this was probably the strongest reaction we've gotten. And it's been a full mixed bag. Some folks saying, I'm glad this is happening. Some folks saying, you're totally biased. Where did you find the Microsoft fanboy? Uh, you know, oh, XML is an abomination. Right. I'm just kind of stunned by the whole thing because I thought it was fascinating to, to sort of look at the process that's going on here and how passionate people are about a government standard <laughs> or, you know, an international standard that I don't know that anybody's actually going to use. And now they're talking about how XML nothing complies with it, not even Microsoft products. I hear a SmackDown show. Uh, or I smell a SmackDown show in the works. I, I think you're right. I think we maybe we have to go back and uh, maybe find some folks that are really knowledgeable on the uh, the other spec, which I think is the uh, Open Office specification and the OOXML right. specification. Sort of talk through the two things. But I'm I'm getting a sense here that the issue is not really the specifications at all, but what it takes to get them through these. Uh, uh, standards bodies that it's a, it's become a very arduous and, and politically charged process to make it happen and so right and and again i get back to this whole thing i guess it's the engineer in me is anyone actually going to use any of this obviously they are i mean if they're so passionate about it i'm i'm not convinced because in the end you know th- i think this whole issue came about by the fact that word became a de facto standard because that's what people used and now they're trying to somehow shift that by rather than just building a product that people would rather use by creating requirements that would force people to use other products, which I just don't see making sense. It's kind of backwards. Wasn't the job to get work done first? Well, you know, that's a topic for another show. So Absolutely. I think I think maybe it's time for a smackdown. <laughs> okay. Um, and by all means, folks, if you've got your opinions, we want to hear them. Uh, go ahead and, and yell at us if you must or give us some ideas on how we can better deal with this topic. Donnet rocks at franklins.net. And you know, folks, we're still running this promo for Microsoft TechEd. If you want to get $200 off your ticket and get a free TechEd Worldwide Tour t-shirt, just go to the TechEd website and register with the code TechEdRocks. But you only have until May 2nd, so. Right. So this is the Thursday show in theory. This thing ends tomorrow, but it's yeah. just this week. So you got to get on it. If you want to go to TechEd, we'll be there. And if uh, and that's for the dev week. And, of course, I'm also going to be doing Run As Radio on the IT week. And this code's good for both weeks, but it's only good this week. Right, for registering. So go to the TechEd website, and in the RSVP code box, enter TechEdRocks with an S. No spaces. Richard, this is indeed a fun, uh, going to be a fun show, because Mark Miller is here in in the person. In the person. In the person. In the first person. I'm still here, man. (laughs) Sitting beside myself. And uh, hi, Mark. Hi, Carl. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You have caused quite a row with your science of great UI talk. That's right. Uh, You you had some good scores recently? That's right. I don't even know what row means, but yeah, I I made that row. A kerfuffle. A row. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for defining row as kerfuffle. That's a Richard word, I know. He's smarter than us. <laughs> I've also seen this session in action, uh, so I'm a big fan of it. It's a it's a great session, and people do really get wired up, and it's not just because Mark Miller annoys them. That's true. Well, so, that's, it's in spite of that, actually. In spite I think, of that. Right? Yeah. It's going to be an interesting show because it's a all about UI, but it's an audio show. So you've actually prepared some uh, shrinksters for... To, to images that people can follow along with. So if you're not at a computer right now, 
just go ahead and pause the recording, go to your computer and listen to it, unless you're driving, of course, in which case we would prefer that you just get where you're going. And all these links are going to be on the website, so you can always go back and check them, too. Right. Yeah, I recommend for drivers, you just close your eyes and imagine, <laughs> oh, maybe not. <laughs> uh, do we intro this man? I mean, do we really need to? No, we don't need to. Okay. Everybody knows Mark. Go ahead, Mark. It's all, the, the floor is yours. I mean, where do we start? Well, I think maybe the the uh, a good place to start is uh, why why is this important? Why is this uh, why is good UI something that we should care about? Because you know if we can't answer that question, you're going to turn this baby off before I say the real exciting things later. So uh, I was actually going to hope you guys were going to answer that question because I got nothing on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can you tell you why I'm guilty of saying this. Oh yeah, which is I am not an artist. Yeah, because making good UIs. I'm told, at least, and my experience has been so far, is really hard. But you know what, though? It's only recently that style has been even considered at all, hasn't it? Hasn't it been mostly function over form? I mean, in the earliest days, you had people who were using the computer keyboard for most of their data entry and stuff like that, and any repetitive movement that they had to do because of the bad UI was was cause for alarm. And, you know. and also, Microsoft put out a book, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was like the style guidelines. That was Virginia Howlett, I think, wasn't right. it? Right, and you had and you where the, that you had to have a file and a help right. and uh, and a toolbar yeah. and that that whole set of rules, which just sort of took the UI design off the table. There's the right way to do it, and that's it. Right. Well, you know the. Uh, um I, there, there are a couple of things that we talked about in there. One of the things that you, you hit on, Richard, is, you, you know, you mentioned that you're not an artist. And, uh, Carl, you were talking about some of the older style UI. Um, I think it's useful to talk about both of those. Uh, one of the things that I find very interesting is every once in a while I'll walk into, like, a restaurant uh, and I'll, I'll take a look at their their uh, their system for, for processing uh, uh, orders and from the menu. And I'll see that it still looks like it's a DOS application, right? And they're running with it pretty fast. And, and one of the things that that seems to indicate is that uh, the people that are choosing the application for that are are pretty satisfied with the efficiency and speed of that. So when we go to uh, a graphical uh, interface, uh, the 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 efficiency seems to have been lost a bit. At least that's that's been my experience, right? I mean, you you go from when we when we went from uh, uh, working in a command prompt to uh, Windows Explorer, there were the inevitable complaints that it just wasn't fast enough. And you, and you see a lot of people uh, uh, in Europe that are using tools other than uh, Windows Explorer that are DOS-based looking kinds of utilities for moving around real quickly, keyboard uh, uh, utilities. So uh, I, I think there's something there that's interesting with regard to uh, the efficiency and why we don't have a move across the board to something that, that that's supposed to be better. And I think the reason is primarily efficiency in that. The other thing that Richard mentioned was he said, well, you know, I'm not an artist. And and I hear things like that, Richard. I hear, you know, I'm not an artist. I, I hear things like, you know, well, UI is, is subjective and, and it's, right. and, and essentially in that statement, you're saying it's just not possible to, to judge with any kind of ob, uh, objective criteria whether the UI is good or not. And, uh, and, and that I think is something that's important to address, right? Because if that's true, then we can all kind of just throw stuff out and maybe vote on it, right? Uh, if, if it's not true though, if, if we can in fact measure the quality of, of the user interface, then we don't need to kind of throw it out and see how, how it's, whether it sticks or not, right? Instead, we can, we can make it good before we send it out the door. Yeah. 
And so I, I think, and then kind of, we, let's go back to, to the, the, the kind of initiative that I, that I threw out there. Why is good UI important? I think there's a, 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 a link, a substantial link between the quality and the effectiveness of your user experience and the user. And users typically are the ones that are paying your bills if you're a developer, right? Inevitably, right. They're, the more users and customers you have, the greater your chance for revenue. Right. Right. And so if you can, if there's a link between good UI and user satisfaction, then uh, your goal is to make the customers extremely satisfied. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you can do that with features and you can do that with really efficient, good UI, clear UI. Do you think the problem is that people just don't know the difference because they get used to the computer dictating what they have to do to them uh, and just so they give up and say, ah, you know, it's good enough. I, you know, I don't think the problem is that users don't know the difference. If you give customers an iPhone and you give them something else yeah. and use, you know, as an example, Windows Mobile 5.0, which I, I hate, mm. which really, can I say that? It's, yeah. Is Microsoft sponsoring this one? Uh, no, they okay. don't sponsor this. So show. that one, that's a UI that, that, that's an operating system that really sucks from a user in, in standpoint. Loads <laughs> of, loads of opportunities in Windows Mobile 5 to improve it. Uh, they're uh, on six now, by the way. Okay. Well, I've got five in my phone still. So, uh, hopefully they, they fixed everything, which I, I doubt. Um, but, um, well, you know, well, especially, gonna, you know, no, no, they haven't. I mean, it's still the same UI, essentially. The, the reason I doubt it, I'm skeptical, I'll go into reasons why I'm skeptical about this a little later, but my, my sense is, is that, that, uh, um, Microsoft's is, is, is relatively clueless about UI with a few exceptions. They're relatively clueless about a number of things and, uh, a number of aspects of UI. And, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll kind of bring those up later on, hopefully, so that I don't just, you know, throw that out without supporting it. But, um, but if you give customers a pleasant, easy to use experience and you give them an experience that's not so good, users know the difference, right? They, they know if it, it feels right. And they certainly know if it feels wrong, if they're, you know, frustrated while they're using it. I think to some degree you can measure the quality of UI by the satisfaction, the happiness, the, the emotional state of, of, of the customer. Um, so I, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem though is as developers, it's not a topic we're ever taught. Right. Right. There's, n- right. there's, there's no good UI course in, in programming courses yet that I'm aware of in any, any college or university. And you think develop, most developers would say, well, it's why teach me how to do this? Cause I'm, I don't have any, you know, aesthetic sense it, or whatever. It's, it's outside the area of their, their domain and, and also interest for the most part, right? Most developers are look, are, are like this. They're like, I want to solve the problem. Give me a problem and I'll solve it. Right. They don't see you. UI is a, is a problem that they can actually wrap their heads around. Is it yet. because it requires creativity? No. It requires, well, uh, that's what they might think, but I don't think that's that's it. In other words, I think it is is that I th- I think the problem is is that good UI has not been presented to them in a in a manner that allows them to take it out of the subjective and into objective, so they can actually okay. sit there and measure it. Instead, what when their interaction with good UI is is customer complaints? Maybe uh, uh, maybe they see evidence of of bad UI, like they see the documentation is really longer than it. Should should be to explain something, right? right? The the sales pitch takes a lot longer to explain something. Tech support is increasing, yeah. right? Those kinds of things are indicators of of the bad of the bad quality of the UI. Yeah. Is is UI something that you can measure the cost of if it's bad? Is there are there actually that kind of objective metrics? There, yes, there are. I mean, that, that's the first thing that I think as developers, uh, it, it's the first bit of information that I think is empowering as a developer. 
I, I, I think that if I can speak to, to that problem of why, why do we do this? I think part of the problem too as developers is when we are, when we are, are presented with, with the, the UI, we see some evidence I mentioned before, right? Of, of, of bad UI. But then on the other side of things, we might be presented with a designer that says, here, here's a picture of what I want it to look like. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. Now, part of the challenge with that is that often uh, designers are trained in two dimensional Art, right? But they're not trained in, in UI, which is essentially interaction over time. Right. Right. So, so as developers, we have a little bit of a leg up on, on designers. But the, but, but as, de- as developers, we don't have the training that they do. So often, sometimes you almost be, I hear of relationships between designers and developers where the developers are reluctantly doing things that they feel are wrong, but they can't express it to the designer. And so what's cool about, about being able to, as a d- developer, to objectively measure UI is you can take something the, the designer presents you and you can go back to the designer uh, w- with confidence and say, here's the problems with this. Right, and you can you can go back and talk to them. So, uh, but and and to directly answer your question, yes, there are objective ways to measure UI, and we can. I think it's useful to talk about some of those. We can we can talk about those things now if you like. Sure. Yeah. Well, the obvious ones that you you hear about in in your you know you good UI one hundred and one training is reduce keystrokes, reduce mouse clicks, reduce mouse moves. So you hear about you hear about those those things. Those are the, like the obvious things, right? You probably heard about that too, right? Yeah. Okay. The 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 next level of of reduction that you wanted, you really want to focus at. Actually, it's probably even more important than those things. Is reducing the amount of p- brain power required to use the app, right? To use the application, right? If if I strictly focus on on reducing keystrokes, reducing mouse moves, what I do is I move towards efficiency, right? Yeah. So efficiency is one goal of good UI. Right. Mm-hmm. Another goal of good UI is discoverability. In other words, I can I can learn the features that are in there. Just like there's a link between customer satisfaction and my income, there's also a link between the features that they use and their customer satisfaction. Right. If I write a feature, if our team produces a feature and our customers do not use it, then we're not going to get the potential revenue from that. Right. Our customers, right. our customers, if we put our heart and soul into the feature, customers won't won't use the feature. They won't stick around with us for the next version, they might go off to a competitor. Okay. So discoverability is important as well, but it's, but it's not necessarily on the same side. It doesn't necessarily fit on the same side as efficiency. In other words, the more efficient I make something, the harder it might be to discover it. Right. Right. So there are, there are different goals that are there, but if you strictly focus on, on, on keystrokes and mouse moves, you'll, you'll move towards efficiency, but you'll end up with word perfect, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a good. That's a good analogy, right? It's very similar to WordPerfect. Control Alt Shift X to to exit the program, or... and so RTFM kind of applies there. Now, yeah, now, right. One of the things that's interesting, what you just said there, is the is the keystroke bindings for WordPerfect. Yeah, they're you, totally random. You, they seem random, and yet they they've actually. Per, I, I think if you follow the history of it, you actually find that Visual Studio uses some of the same. Some of them, yeah. Some of the same keystroke shortcuts from there. And WordStar too, like right? Control Y for removing a line. Sure, sure, sure. Exactly. And, and there's and and for people that miss those right the old folks like me they they, they actually will add those keystroke <laughs> right, shortcuts right. in there right like for me what uh, control L was fine next I think in WordPerfect and yeah. I've used that I put that into Visual Studio when mm. I do it because mm. it's ingrained in me it's something I'm right. familiar with right right but one of the, one of the things that's interesting about that is is you notice is the more features you put in an application the more shortcut bindings you have is an example if you go into Visual Studio and you look at uh, you bring up in Visual Visual Studio 2005 or up, and you look at the, uh, you bring up the refactor menu, for example, you've got, if you've got C Sharp for uh, language installed, you'll see seven refactorings listed there, and six out of those all start with Control-R followed by some other letter. 
Um, we've also actually got a shrinkster of this. If you if you don't have this in front and you want to look at this, shrinkster.com slash WR8. Oh, yeah. And and one of the things that's, that's interesting there is I've highlighted the three that start with the letter R. F2 is for rename. That shortcut's there. That's pretty pretty easy to uh, to grok because there are uh, there's convention there with F2. I, I use F2 to rename inside of Windows Explorer, right? So I know that. I'm familiar with it. But check it out. You've got also you've got also you have two other refactorings in there. One is remove parameters, and the other is reorder parameters. And the shortcuts for those are Control R comma V and the other one is control R comma O. And so when I look at that, I look at the V for remove and I look at the O for reorder and I, and I, and I create this mnemonic in my head. I say, Oh, it's remove, right? Remove parameters, (laughs) parameter and reorder parameters. Right. So I do these kind of crazy exercises in my mind to help me remember, right? Sure. Visual Studio has even gone through, or Microsoft has even gone through the effort of making publications available, little pamphlets, right? Like you kind of go to the mm-hmm. doctor and you get these pamphlets, but these are the shortcuts for C Sharp and for VB. I won't get it, but I've got, I've, <laughs> I freaking brought one of these. I saw Charlie Calvert and he handed me one and I said, I'm taking that, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and it, normally we get pamphlet like that. It's, it's uh, venereal disease and you. That's right. Right, I know. And this is shortcuts. This is this is C sharp shortcuts and you is what this one was. <laughs> and it was it, it's amazing because it's 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 like four four little pages. You open it up and um, you can flip back and forth. And the, I want to get a scan of it and stick a shrinkster link up to it. Hopefully, we can do this by the end of the show. Do you have a scanner here, Carl? No. Okay. Well, we guess we can't then. You'll have to just imagine it. Maybe it's, you could find it online if you Google images or live search for images. It's crazy stuff, man. It's right. it's so so so. What the, the point there is though is as features get more complex, so do shortcut bindings. As shortcut bindings get more complex, burden on user increases, right? Mm. And one of the one of the analogies I like to I like to to think about when I'm when I'm working with software, trying to create software, is is movies. It, it, you know the difference between a good movie and a bad movie, right? Mm-hmm. A bad movie makes you think about the movie. You realize you're watching a movie. Mm. A good movie, you're drawn into the characters, you're right? You're there. Well, with software, the same thing, right? If you, if good software, your customers wrapped around the essence of the problem, right? Solving right. the problem, whatever right. it is, whether it's writing a letter or exploring data, right. they're wrapped around that. Bad software, they're sitting there thinking, what keystrokes do I need to hit right. to do remove parameters or something like that? Right, right. Oops, I just said bad software, and that was maybe too much of a link there. My- <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully the – no, I won't say what I'm going to say because then I get in deeper trouble. Uh, we'll edit that out. I'm in a serious hole. Okay. Oh, maybe we won't. By the way, funny. Carl, you're totally right. As soon as I searched images for C-sharp shortcuts, took me right to the, the, the thing. Cool. You got a shrinkster for us? I do. Shrinkster.com slash WRH. So, Whiskey Romeo Hotel. This is a poster, not a pamphlet. I don't know how big it would actually print out. I mean, I guess they wow. call it a poster. But Do you really want your shortcuts to take up a whole wall? Yeah. Wow. Do you need your shortcuts to take up a whole wall? Well, that's the thing. When we're talking about reducing shortcuts, there are a lot of commands that are, you notice they, in, in these pictures, if you look in close on, on these pamphlets, they are grouping these things into categories, right? You have commands for outlining, you have commands for editing, those kinds of things. And we already saw, or we already talked about the, the, the different refactorings in, in Visual Studio 2005 and, mm-hmm. and, and, and up, right? Yeah. For C sharp. So, so one of the ways, one of the creative ways to solve this problem is to distill those commands into functionally similar groups, 
which they've already done on on this on these on these uh, brochures. And by the way, these are not the the the, the comprehensive list of shortcuts. Uh, Visual Studio ships with something like two thousand plus commands, and a lot of those have bindings. So this is not the the full list. This is just the essence of it, right? But if I take those groups and instead just give them one shortcut, for example, for refactoring, I gave it one key to hit, and maybe for navigation, for advanced navigation commands, I gave that one key as well. And then we use context. You know, where you are in the data, where you are looking through the code in the example of Visual Studio or, or in, or in your situation, where the customer is, what the customer is doing. We use context to determine, to essentially eliminate a lot of those possibilities. Then we might end up with simply one command that's the obvious one to do. And if not, we might have a few. And then we can just simply present a menu that says, here are the commands that are available. And oh, by the way, if you really want to go straight to them with shortcuts, we can give you those too if they exist and list those out in the menu. So the menu gives you that discoverability right? And by having one key instead of uh, hundreds of keys that I have to memorize, uh, it's it's much easier for on the on the user. Yeah, true. Now, um, obviously, reducing the cost of UI re- requires uh, that balance that you were talking about of uh, features plus discoverability. Right. And I know you as a software developer and the stuff that you work on, you're constantly struggling with that. Sure. So, you know, is do you have any uh, sort of elevator speech advice for that, or, or is it yeah, a yeah, lot more well, complex well, than it? Well, it's there's there's a balance between efficiency and discoverability. I think I think it's I think it's very hard to get to to get efficiency plus discoverability. Often, what'll happen is when when I say hard, I don't mean impossible, but right. I mean I think it takes longer than you initially think. Right. The the reason why is 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 in your move to efficiency, what happens is it is typically harder to discover, and you d- usually as developers as a team you realize this after you ship the feature. Feature, or yeah. after you do user testing, yeah. right? The users don't see the new, faster way of doing it. Well, um, that's, you know, IntelliSense is the real success story for us, you know, as developers. And what you've done with uh, Code Rush, too, you have this sort of like context based dynamic help that shows up on the in, in a window right we call that preview hinting and, and there's a, yeah. there's a few other examples of this I, I just want to go back to this 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 balance between efficiency and discoverability there's a couple examples that people might be familiar with one of them is office 2007 I installed office 2007 and for the first three days I was swearing like crazy at this glowing orb in the upper left corner that kept glowing right. and <laughs> and going back and glowing again and I was just swearing at it and on the third day I was so sick of it I I was fed up, about ready to call it Bill Gates. I, I said, let me hover the mouse over that thing and just, I'm going to click that thing because I'm so mad at it. <laughs> and see what and happens. It, and a, a, a hint pops Turned out up. to be your friend. It says, click here to open, save, or print and see everything else you can do with your document. <laughs> Great. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. So I was an idiot for three days, and I didn't. <laughs> so so check it out. What happened is 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 Microsoft came up and found a better way, a more efficient way to do things. Yeah. But I don't RTFM. But they right? took. But they were. It was morphing and moving and animating, and it sort of took your eye there, as if to say, "Hey, if you're going to click anywhere, click here." I just thought it was. I I thought it was. You know, binary masturbation is what I thought it was. <laughs> can you say that on this show? I don't I know. Don't, but I think I you can. Think so so I, if I can't, it'll come out as binary. B- is what it'll come out with. <laughs> so I and I and I do but, I do have an example of binary masturbation I'll come up with later actually. Okay. But I think the salient point here is that those controls and that button are the exception to everything the ribbon is about. 
What I like about the ribbon control, it took me a while to figure out why I liked it, is that it is context sensitive. Context that sensitive. if I'm in yep. a bulleted list and I double click on something in it, or if I double click on an image or something in Word, the menu options in the ribbon change to what's applicable to that object. Yeah. Not only that, not only that, this is actually one of the, the ribbon, I think, is an area where Microsoft really shines in the area of UI. I was, I was dumping on them earlier. Uh, this is an area that I think they do really well. The other thing they do that I think they do really well is they, they use size effectively. Whereas yeah. the buttons you're more likely to hit are larger right. than the ones you're less likely to hit. You know, I got to tell you, and Richard, you remember this. When we first saw the ribbon, we were like, what are they thinking? Remember yes. that? And you're right. After using it a little bit and just discovering, uh, you know, how awesome it is in the context sensitivity, uh, we're just, Joel, you know, I'm repeating but, what you said. But, and the funny part is we're not the audience for it. It's the new office user yeah. right. that that's that that's ideal for and yet we could still stand it so it again and i remember us all hating it yeah and microsoft saying don't worry it'll be okay do you know how to build web 2.0 ajax applications with web 1.0 components right you just can't in order to have next generation web apps you need next generation components and that's exactly what our friends at telerik have for you their upcoming product codename rad controls prometheus is a huge pack of web controls built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, which will add previously impossible performance and interactivity to your next project. Just listen to this. The new controls mirror the ASP.NET Ajax API, so development is straightforward. Client scripts are shared, so loading time is pretty much instant. And if you just set a couple of properties, you'll be able to automatically bind to web services for even more efficient operation. After all, the facts speak for themselves. The new RAD editor for ASP.NET AJAX loads up to four times faster than before. Similarly, RAD Grid handles thousands of records in mere milliseconds. But again, it's best to try for yourself. Visit Telerik.com slash ASP.NET AJAX and download a trial. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. The the other thing that they did that I really love in this is when you drop it down and you you one of the options in the in this drop down is save as, and if you hover over that, uh, you can actually click it. Same with print, but if you if you if you if you don't click it, you get a sub menu that pops up. Mm. It's brilliant mm-hmm. because it's 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 it it doesn't force me to highlight and then move to the right. 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 They also have inside of PowerPoint they have the ability to right click a shape and choose simply bring to front. As, or it's submenu, which allows you to bring forward or bring to front. Right. So what you have is you have kind of an old style, right, which is familiar to 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 older developers. But you also have something that is somewhat discoverable if you you click on it. It looks clickable by the by by the uh, fact that it's got this kind of pliable kind of three D look to it when you hover over it. Now the one thing that they messed up though is the grouping menu. The grouping menu you should do this. I should be able to select several items and just right click and group, but unfortunately I'm forced to go to the submenu. And when you do that, you feel the pain and you're like, "Ah, oh, really sucks." Hmm. Um, Edward Tufty. He's great. You're a big fan. I am a big fan of of Me him. too, me too. Uh uh the uh uh Richard, do we have I didn't shrinksterize this up. Uh yeah, well, I, I yeah, did. the link is edwardtufty.com. edwardtufty.com. 
And Tufte is spelled T-U-F-T-E. Yeah, T-U-F-T-E. Edward Tufte is, in my opinion, a genius, uh, especially in the area of, of graphics communication. Well, that's the area where he's a genius. Um, he's uh, trained in, uh, or I assume his expertise is in the uh, uh, is in two dimensional uh, two dimensional graphics. Uh, so a lot of the a lot of his advice uh, applies there, and and maybe needs a little bit of tweaking in in our world. But there are there are two things that I have have really Really taken to heart from from him that I, I I really strongly believe in are very useful for developers. One of the things is information in serial, information mm. in serial versus information in parallel. Yes. Okay. Um, so let let's talk about information in serial. I, I can give you the best example and, and realize the medium in which we're communicating this is inherently serial. It's inherently serial, right? And, and it's true. I but, mean, you don't even have to explain it. We get it. I mean, all everything all at once is right. overwhelming. So here's the example. I'm trying to give you an example right now. Imagine this: uh, uh, there's you're you're in your car, and there's an, uh, a service in your car that says uh, it's an audio service, and it says uh, you're a little close to the car in front of you, and then it says uh, the car behind you is a little close. And you can't get those, you can't get those at the same time because it's audio, right? It's yeah. serial. Now imagine replacing all that with a windshield that you can look out and a rear view mirror that you can see right there. Right, right. That's information in parallel. Your eyes can go back and forth between the two. Yeah. Okay. And information in parallel is so much easier to process than information in serial. Have you ever been working with a dialogue and you realized you need to see something behind it? So you clicked on the title bar and dragged it down so you could see that thing? Right, right. Or have you ever hit cancel because you needed to copy something or, right. or get, get back? That's like a slideshow UI yeah. where, where UI elements are, are stacked on top of each other and you cannot get back to the thing behind it, yeah. right? Uh, unless you get rid of it and then come back out again, right? Mm. Those are these stacked up UIs and it's real easy to create those and that's information in serial. Mm. But we really want to have information in parallel. Before you move on, I want to address that point because I, I see that more as usability in serial and usability in parallel. When I can, I can think of another situation, I've alluded to it before, where, you know, you see this, you see a, a screen full of primary colored buttons and each one is trying to grab your attention. You know, you've seen right. these like yep. the, in the bars and in the pizza joints where they have all this information or you've gone to websites that are that have so many Click ads me. and so many Click yeah me. exactly it's like going Visit to Las my Vegas site. right Visit my site <laughs> it's well, like come see my site yeah it's like walking right. down the strip right. and and to me that is information in parallel and that tends to lose the focus well, whereas whereas something like the menu that you were just talking about where it shows you the things in pieces and you know with the right. most significant first is information in serial well, so well, hold on i have a counterpoint to that in that in that the all that crap that you don't want to see is not really information it's noise okay and so noise is essentially useless information in parallel so that's bad you don't want useless information you want good high quality information that's going to give you the clarity so you do want information in parallel things that are relevant you don't want to hide relevant details that's the okay. essence behind that don't hide things that are relevant have it all flatten things down instead of stacking them up uh, another example of information in serial is the wizard Right. And right. if you go even further back in our history, it's simply uh, procedural programming. Right. right. What do you want to do? Do you want to do this? Yes or no? Yes or no? Or right. you're, you're in the forest and you're in front of a door. Relevant things in parallel. Relevant, right. Because, 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 yeah, exactly. Because we're talking, you know, and th you really hit upon a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart, which is noise, Carl. Um, you mentioned the website with all the distraction, yeah. right? Yeah. You also mentioned in IntelliSense earlier, right? And you talked right. about how great that was. For, I think you were talking about discoverability, discoverability. right? Discoverability, yeah. Right. So imagine you've got IntelliSense up and you're looking for an event, right? 
In that moment, when you're looking for the event as you're scrolling down from a controller or a class you've never worked with before, right? You're just mm-hmm. looking for an event, something with a name like create in it, for example, yeah. right? Well, it doesn't start with a C, so you're scrolling down. What are you doing? You're, your eyes are probably on the left looking at the icon. You're looking for that familiar event icon mm-hmm. scrolling up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when you see that, then you look and read the text. But in that moment, when you're looking for the event, all the properties, all the methods are noise. noise. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why your eyes are on the left to create that filter. And in that moment, you're kind of doing something where you're, you're not really wrapped around your data anymore. Instead, what you're doing is you're kind of wrapped around the specifics of the application and how to interact with it. It's made a little more frustrating in that there are uh, some size limits on how big I can make that uh, box. And if I need to resize it, right, my hands are on the keyboard, right? What do I do? I have to reach over for the mouse. And there's a transitional cost there that, that, that a lot of people are just going to say, well, I'm just going to deal with it. I'm going to scroll down. Right. So, so noise is essentially the enemy of your customer. And as a developer, I would encourage you to say, you know what? It's my enemy too. So your job is to identify, suppress, and eliminate the noise, especially if your customers are dealing with a lot of data or simply you've just got a UI that's very noisy. The other thing that Tufty talks about is smallest effective difference. And the best example I have of this is if you imagine in the old days when you looked at a grid, the data was had the same visual weight as the lines separating the data, mm. right? The lines separating the data were usually black mm. on a white background. Mm. The data was black on a white background. Yeah. And if you, you want to try a simple visual experiment, go into Excel, create some data or load up some data, copy it, paste it onto a second spreadsheet in Excel. And in the second one, select all of, all of the text and, uh, and change the borders and the, between the cells, all the lines to black. And then switch back and forth between the two. And then you can totally see the effectiveness and the difference between those two. Yeah. Now, by the way, I'll note that switch is information in serial, mm. but you're controlling it going back and forth. Uh, and it's the same data overlaid, so it's not too bad. Mm. You can also do it side by side if you if you want to do that to make the choice, but uh, to, to make that decision. But if you compare the two, you'll see that, wait a second, the lines, it doesn't make sense to have them thick and black. And that's why Excel was, I think, one of the first spreadsheets to make the lines very, very light in color. Yeah, right? light gray, as and much as the smallest amount of if contrast That's effective, required. that's yeah. effective, right? And the, the black lines is, 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 is way too effective. We want the smallest effective difference between the mm. background and the lines. Mm. Um, and and uh, another way of putting that is, is the contrast yeah. should fit the information relevance. If the information is more relevant, it should be a higher contrast. If it is less relevant, it should be low contrast. It seems like such an obvious thing when you say it, and, and then nobody was thinking about this. Right. So, so things like, I mean, that, that's part of this, the, the purpose of this too, right? Talking, talking about these things gives developers developers things to talk about, right? Like noise, right? Smallest effective difference. Now, let me give you an example of a violation of smallest effective difference. Microsoft Money came out a while ago, and behind the toolbar button, they had a a bitmap with swirly kind of images going by it. It was subtle, but it was swirly and totally had nothing to do with the application, right? right? It was, in my opinion, way too much. It was something maybe a graphic artist came along and said, hey, here, look at this. It looks neat. Doesn't it look great? And maybe everybody said, yeah, okay, it looks appealing. Let's do it. Um, I'm not seeing very much use for that. No. For that, other than distracting me and making me look at it when I'm trying to work with money. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, so- it, is a, it is interesting because the aesthetic is creeping back in. There isn't really any need to have reflections 
You know what I mean? In a right. business application, right. but still people do it because it's cool. Similarly, there's not much need to have like a, th- uh, or, or there's rarely a need to have something that looks super 3D, 3D right? Right. In a, in a business application. Right. The, even, even the battleship gray, when I say battleship gray, I'm talking like Windows 3.1 and up, right? The gray yeah. background yeah. kind of stuff that we're all used to. Mm-hmm. Even the battleship gray buttons, all that stuff, that's a little noisy. You could flatten that down a bit if you mm-hmm. had something that people were going to be clicking on a lot. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you look at, uh, the, the new stuff in the ribbon bar, most of those buttons don't have any border around them. It's only the groups of buttons that have a border. There's mm. no 3D but look. They've lost the 3D look because it was visually distracting. Mm. Where, mm. You know, how many times are my eyes up on the buttons? Rarely, mm. right? And yet they have all this visual 3D look that's going to attract yeah. me, right? That's right. contrast between the shadow and, the, and the, the highlight. You know, we use the same thing in, in audio engineering. We were just, I was just recording a theme song for a movie that's being filmed in, in uh, New London here in Norwich. And uh, the artist wanted to put these bells like a glockenspiel, and if more you know, cowbell, no, not saying? a cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> great, great reference. Okay, but no, you've heard a glockenspiel like that really high, tingy. I mean, it's really the audio equivalent of a primary color. Okay, sure. It's the exactly. contrast is really, really high. Right. And my first reaction was to to thin that out as much as possible. And the second reaction was to drop that down in volume yes. so that you hear it, but it's yes. not so distracting yes. you can't J- hear the lyrics. Exactly. So just like in audio, with visual, subtlety is good, right? right. Fewer colors is better than many colors. Less is more. They yes, always say that's it the is. big cliche. It, you know, and, and here's the thing. As a developer, if you're building your UI, right, instead of just saying, well, let me give you a great example. When Windows 3.1 came out, I started getting all these letters from my mom, and I thought she was being held hostage somewhere. <laughs> remember the fonts? I mean, they gave us all the fonts. You wanna, mom, what's with the hot pink? Yeah, you got to use you got to use things with purpose, right? <laughs> oh, so, I couldn't agree so, more. So if you come back and say, wait a second, Mark said that contrast should match information relevance. Yes, and my less relevant stuff should be should be low contrast, right? right. Like the lines in Excel as an example. Well, that right? doesn't mean that the important words of a sentence should be black and the rest should be gray, does it? Uh, well, dude, actually, let me give you a great screenshot here. Because people do that with bolding and, sure. and italics you're, and all that. Well, the answer is yes, it should. But the thing is, is that you want to make sure you're, the examples you're thinking of are probably noisy examples, right? Well, I'm like thinking the, of when you're looking at a manual and they like bold the, the, the yeah. important words that are in the index or something. Sure, sure, know? sure. Go out to shrinkster.com slash WQZ and take a look at this. So this is a dialogue box uh, and it's it's all sort of wow. shades of gray. And and let me I'll, I'll let me I'll describe the thing that's es- the, the real the essence in here. There's a checkbox at the top and it says zoom and crop photos to fill grid cells. And zoom and crop are highlighted are bold. and bold. And yeah. not only that, but the rest of the text that's not highlighted is a little more subtle gray, it appears, at least from here in this right. screenshot, right? So you've got black, bold words so for what zoom and what it really and crop. does is it draws your eye to the key words that are most important so you don't have to read the whole sentence exactly. before you understand what exactly. it is. Exactly. So power users come, come up here and get their eyes right on those pieces and, and see the essence of it. I was still thinking about the letter from your mom. I mean, when you're seeing text in a letter. Yeah. Which you have to read to understand. If you look yeah. at this dialogue, they've done, there are a few more words that are bold for other controls in here. Um, uh, and most of them just have a single word that's bold all the way down, right? This right. Is, it's the essence of that. That's cool. Um, that's good, right? You can Im- easily imagine yes. overdoing this, right? What if each word were in a different color? Then you've got some noise. And what, ha- what do we do to noise? We hate it. We fill, we, we, we 
tune it out. Now, let me give you, I, I can give you another example of noise if you don't mind another Just screenshot. Just ask my brother and I. We lived with my mother for all those years. We learned to tune out exactly. the noise. Exactly. This is what we're good at as men. <laughs> we can do this. That's why when we hear wah, 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 right. wah, 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 so for, so for folks at a computer, I've got a visual equivalent to what Carl just said. It's shrinkster.com slash WR6. WR6. And now I'm, I, and, and I'll explain this for people listening and what this is. I, and, and how I got the screenshot. I'm, I'm working with some software from Lego about five years ago, I think. And this, this, this message box suddenly appears while we're building something with this virtual, building some virtual creation with this software. And I, I, I see this and it's got loads of text. It's got one, two, three, maybe four paragraphs of text right. in it. Okay. And it's a dialogue box. It's a dialogue box that pops up. It also has some images of buttons on it as well, a number of them. Now, a couple things. One is the text is black and the background that the text is on is kind of a dark gray. Right? So it's low contrast and yet it's a lot of information. Right. Uh, part of, on the one hand, it's saying read me. On the other hand, it's saying don't read me. Yeah. In fact, mm. there have been a lot of studies that show that the more text you throw at a, right. at, a, at a person, the less inclined they are to read it, the less likely they are to read it. It's almost right. like, you know, the faster and more frenetic you speak, the more people will tune you out. Okay, that's an edit point. We're going to cut that. <laughs> cut that. That's not a funny joke, Ed, by the way. I didn't think it was funny at all. And so, what do we do, Carl, when we see a lot of text, right? What do we do? We, 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 we click, I agree. That's yeah, right. what we do. <laughs> we click, you I need, agree. You need the install button. I agree. Buddy. I just agree. Make it go away. Right? That's, okay. That's what we do. We just click, okay. <laughs> I agree. Now, this dialogue's got some other crazy stuff on it. For anybody looking at this dialogue, two of the paragraphs have what look like images of maybe a, a round button near like them. a screwdriver or something. These screw, two, like a screw. These two paragraphs are both radio buttons. There's an wow. identical image in the upper left of one of these radio buttons. It's just a picture. It's not in a button at all. And then at the bottom, it says, click here if you don't want to see this tip again. To the right is something that looks like a button with an X on it. Like a close button. You can click that baby all day long. (laughs) And nothing happens. (laughs) Nothing happens. It's a picture of the same button up on the upper right. Oh, oh, man. But we were talking about noise, right? We're talking about noise. This is an example of noise. This makes me angry to use this stuff. Exactly. You don't want to do this. (laughs) I said, you know what? Just to show them, we're going to go blow up Lego Star Wars video game that we bought today. (laughs) He's like, Daddy, no. Why can't you be a good loving father? So anyway. All right. Now it's time for people dumber than me. This is where <laughs> Mark Miller finds all the people that are making the news that are dumber than him. He all figures right. if they're dumber than him, they're That's also my other personality. That's not me. That's my and evil. And we'll make you feel better about yourself. That's my evil. Mr. Plan. Miller. So, uh, okay. Where the heck were we? <laughs> Back on track. We were talking about some of the things that as developers, we can know to work with designers. And we, we talked a bit about contrast, small effective difference. Yep. Uh, you mentioned color. But right. uh, only to say use fewer colors. Well, sure. You want to use fewer colors. There's a few other things, a few other tips for working with color. One of them is I like working with hue, saturation, and lightness. Uh, and uh, there are some open source classes out there that model this. Uh, it's a different way of representing color. We're all familiar with RGB. Hmm. RGB sucks because if you want to get a, a color that's close to an existing color, like a different shade of it, hmm. like maybe a little lighter, 
Uh, maybe yeah. shade is the wrong word, but a different, you have to adjust a different intensity. all three at the same time. Right, you have yeah. to move all three at the same time, and right. it's and it's and in, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? Right. Alternatively, with hue, saturation, and lightness, I simply modify one of the two other properties, right. either luminance or saturation. Hmm. Okay, hmm. and so you always leave the hue alone. Yeah, leave the hue alone. Right, and then I can have things. All I can still you know follow this rule of having one color. Or, or maybe just a small palette of colors, a small color palette, right? right? But then I can I can adjust the intensities, mm. so I can have uh, maybe a, a, a low contrast kind of look for my lines, but they still maybe have a color because the user can choose an overall theme or look, right? And when you create a color in uh, in the .NET framework, are you or, well? Let's it's just RGB. Say it's RGB. Is yeah. there any way to create a color from hue saturation? And not that I'm not aware of anything. It seems to me like be a big missing class, especially That'd from be a WPS. Nice class. Yeah, it'd be a nice class to build. Right. To well, the funny thing is that is that HSL maps completely the RGB. It's just a different way of specifying the value. Right. So what, it's an one easy converter. One of the things that's interesting is RGB does not map... Uh, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on a second. It's it, there, There's kind of one... One's a subset of the other. In other words, there are many more ways... Uh, RGB is a subset of HSL. Yeah. There are many more ways way. to represent something with HSL than there are with RGB. Hmm. Uh, because you can basically get... Uh, you, you can get black, like, for example, all, for if I want to get black... Right, yeah. I can represent that uh, sixty-five thousand ways with HSL just by taking the luminance down to zero. Right, right, and the hue could be anything, and the saturation could be anything, but it's still black because luminance is, is is at zero. Right, does that make sense? So, um, uh, uh, so there are many more ways uh, 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 to represent it. So, if you go from HSL to RGB and back to HSL, you might have a different number at the end with HSL. Oh, interesting. Right, that's that, that's the only thing there. But you can find open source cla- uh, classes out there that are HSL and utilities. Um, I just think it's it seems to be missing from WPF. As far, to my awareness, it's not there, and it should hmm. be there. Hmm. Um, the other thing with uh, with color, the other tip that's useful with color, is that you can use saturation a lot similar to the way that you can use uh, contrast. Uh, in other words, things that you want to highlight, you can use color to highlight them. Right, you can make something very saturated. For example, uh, data saturated like a saturated red, for example, to indicate maybe your worst performers. For example, then that can help the developer. I'm sorry, the end user uh, get through the noise. Okay. Uh, to me, the surprise about this is that we think that you need designers to pick colors well, but as soon as you pointed out this hue, saturation, and luminance way of setting it, it's almost hard to go wrong. Right. Pick a color, right? Any color, right? And just dial the lum the the LNS up a l- uh, up and down a bit. You'll find a few complementary colors. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You can do that. And, and, and the other thing that you can do, Richard, is once you have those in those, in those varying shades, uh, you know, I keep using shade. I think that may be wrong because I, I'm, I'm thinking different, uh, 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 brightness or, or, uh, saturation levels. Once you've, once you have those and you want to like get a complementary color, all you have to do is spin the, the hue around a certain amount and you do it for all of those. So it's, it's very easy to get a color palette up that you can work with using HSL. Uh, opacity is another variable in the whole right. contrast thing. Right. Um, w- one of the common mistakes here with opacity is to make something with text on it semi-transparent and float that above text behind oh, yeah. it that's semi-transparent. Right. Or any kind of complex w- image. What we're doing, yeah, what we're doing is we're just creating noise that's not really useful, that's not terribly useful. The best uses of, of opacity and, and, and transparency um, I found are in Adobe Lightroom. And with Adobe Lightroom, they've it, it's What's a that? it's a photo editing uh, photo management program from Adobe, and um, they have it's it, it's similar to a lot of applications in the sense that your the data you're working on takes place in the middle mm. of the screen, yeah, and on the side they have these tool windows. Mm. 
But whereas in Visual Studio, where they use animation to, to move them out mm. and then retract them again when you have them in the auto dock position, mm -hmm. with Adobe Lightroom, what they do is they actually fade them in. Hmm. Okay, they fade them in. And so what we're talking about is an animation of from transparency to opacity, but no motion. Nice. Now, there's some benefits to that, yeah. right? As it fades in, now granted, it's a short fade in. It's probably a third of a second to a half a second. But as it fades in, I can see the control that I want to click and move my mouse to it. Yeah. Whereas in Visual Studio, when it's moving in, it's wasting my time. Right. Granted, it's small. There's another example, binary masturbation right there, right? <laughs> it's like coming in, there's nothing I can do. Plus, when it comes out, I'm trying to return my focus to the data. What's happening? It's moving away real fast in Visual mm. Studio. Mm. Okay? Visual Studio got it wrong. Lightroom got it right. Mm. And, and that's a, Lightroom does a number of things really well. Another mm. thing that they do well is they highlight the data. The data that's relevant is, is, is high contrast. The data that's less relevant is low contrast. Mm. I have a screenshot example of this, uh, at shrinkster.com, uh, slash WR4. WR4. Oh, this is Lightroom. This is Lightroom. It almost looks like Blend. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So. <laughs> Blend. Funny that. Bl you know, I don't have any screenshots of Blend. I should totally. It looks like Blend. It, it would be perfect. It looks like Blend, but it's not. Blend tried to copy this, but they did a really poor job of copying this kind of a look. Well, you know what? I'm going to probably get somebody sued if I say that. I'm not. No, it's okay. Uh, I don't have. I don't know that they tried to copy it, but it sure looks to me like they tried to copy it, but they didn't do it right. If you go into Blend and and uh, you look at their uh, their uh, uh, toolbox for for animations, and you go in and 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 do the to the part where you hook up the animation to the, the event to a particular uh, 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 animation, like mouse over, something like that. Mm -hmm. What you see is that the data that doesn't change, it's typically, it, it, it's, it, the format is essentially a sentence that, and I don't recall the specifics of the sentence, but it is some, some, some bit of information that doesn't change, followed by a combo box and a drop-down uh, triangle for the combo box, followed by more information that doesn't change, and then followed by another combo box and then a little bit more information. The, the data in the combo box is the important stuff. The drop-down button is not so important, yet it's bright white on black background. The labels that don't change are also not so important, but they are also bright white, bold, on a on the on on uh, a black background, mm -hmm. everything across the board is 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 telling me that it's of equal visual weight to everything next to it. But the real essence is the data in the drop down. That's the stuff I want to look at at a glance. I want to just look up and see what the bindings are, right? I want to look up and see that at a glance. If you look at the screenshot here, you see that the labels to the left are are kind of like a light gray color. Yeah. But the data itself is bright white. Okay, it's mm -hmm. higher contrast. The data is higher contrast. The essential data is higher contrast than the uh, the the non-essential data, and that's that's of value. All right, so we've talked about contrast, we've talked about color, uh, we talked about opacity, uh, other things in the toolbox we should know about. Yes, Richard, there 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 are a few others. One of them is size. Size similar to contrast can can match the 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 information relevance. You can also kind of combine things too in an interesting manner in that I can have a low contrast which essentially means it's not such important data, but make it larger so I initially attract the eye. And it also means that you could use you could need this Right? Is that what that sort of conveys? This could be important. Yeah. So as an example, like header for data, right? Mm -hmm. Your, the header for the data is information you want to read once. 
Yeah. Right? You, you don't need it to be high contrast. It should not carry the same visual weight as the data itself. Mm. So it should be lower contrast, but you could make it bigger in size, like bold, for example, but low contrast, right? So that my eyes naturally go to it if I'm a first-time user. And if I'm a multiple-time user and I already know what that data is, I can easily skip it because it's low contrast. I'm not fighting with it, right? My yeah. eyes aren't fighting with it. They're not fighting with the dark lines when we talked about the lines in the spreadsheet. So, so, so you can do that kind of thing. So size is one of them. Shadow is also interesting. If you have any kind of UI elements that float on top of other UI elements, floating UI, you need to have a shadow underneath it. Uh, uh, it's, it, th- this is something that may seem really obvious, but you need it. If you don't, what you have is you often have a conflict between the data underneath and the edge of the border right. on, t- on top of it. So shadow is very useful there. You know, Mark, I can also think of combining the shadow with the uh, the contrast of the lower thing. Like if you have something that's modal and you want to get across the idea that what is behind this is not usable right now. Right. Then you pop up your your thing and you you lower the contrast of, of everything the, behind of everything it. behind exactly it. exactly. Yeah. And I know how much you love modal dialogue boxes. So. Sure, no, I, I no, I, <laughs> I hate modal dialogues, but 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 that is a really nice kind of effect, right? Where yeah. you and I've actually seen that on one of Microsoft's web pages where they they brought up a, a window and 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 lowered the contrast of everything behind. They yeah. they lowered the contrast Vista also. Does that a lot. Also dropped down the luminance, made it darker. Mm. Um, one other thing I liked, I saw you in your editing program that you were using today, mm. and uh, you you could select different tracks. Right. And the way they indicated a selected track was to increase the contrast between yeah. the the, the the signal and the background. That's right. And all, they lowered the contrast in the other tracks that were not selected. It was, right. It's a great UI. You knew exactly what was selected. I like that a lot. So uh, another one, motion animation. This is something that uh, designers are typically don't have formal training in. Uh, similarly, developers don't. But yeah. but smallest effective differences apply here as well, right? You don't want your button that's rocking back and forth and expanding that says, click me, click me, click me, right? You don't want that uh, in most cases, Right. There's a, and the other thing is, is if you've got linear animation, any kind of linear motion, uh, having, uh, acceleration and deceleration is a good thing. It makes it look more natural. Yeah. Okay. If you imagine, you know, the old robot dance, right? Where we moved our hands with a constant velocity, <laughs> right? It, it stands out to us. But if you imagine somebody going over and reaching and grabbing a soda and picking up and drinking it just normally, it doesn't look odd to us. Hmm. And the reason why is because there's acceleration, deceleration happening. So if you have a linear movement, like you want to get the customer's eyes from one part of the screen to another, right? You're going to accelerate and decelerate. You see that in early uh, computer animated uh, cartoons and things like that, that you have so much linear motion. It uh, it looks so, so unnatural. Carl is doing the robot dance to me right now, right right across (laughs) from me, folks, just so you know. You know what I mean? In the early CGI stuff, you didn't have that sort of physics engine happening. Right, exactly. There was no calculus there. was just yeah. right, and so the thing is, the impact of this is that is that when you when you do it wrong, it stands out, right? When you do it yeah. when you move something in a linear way at a constant speed, it stands out. Okay, so we're talking about animation, right? Deceleration and acceleration, right? On linear animation. And earlier we were talking about Edward Tufte. Um, Edward Tufte has a great uh, treatment of the iPhone. And uh, and for folks that are listening in that are not by a computer, this is like the number one link that I think you guys should go to uh, to take a look at this. Um, it's shrinkster.com slash WRI, Whiskey Romeo Indigo. And this is uh, Edward Tufte's take on the iPhone. 
And if you watch this, you can watch how his finger is moving the displays. And the animation that's going on there has some deceleration. In fact, it even kind of rocks back into place as you, right. as you, as you look at this video. Yeah. It's an excellent, excellent video and an excellent introduction into the genius of Edward Tufty. So I recommend that. And what is Tufty's, uh, what is Tufty's uh, connection to the iPhone? Is there any other than he had a critique of it? Right. It's just he had a, he he was talking about it, and for the most part he has good things to say about it. Yeah. But he also has some things he talks about suggestions, and whenever you see a suggestion from Tufty, you're going to see it information in parallel. And what happens is when he goes to the suggestion, he actually says, "Here's the old way of doing, or here's the current way, the way the iPhone does it. Here's the way I think it should be done." And you can see left and right and compare right there, and you can see wow. do we see the data or not. Nice. Speaking of information. In parallel and speaking of noise we talked about it before i've got one really important shrinkster i want to show you okay and this might be the thing we end on for today and that is shrinkster.com slash wr7 whiskey romeo 7 let's just talk about show this and i'll describe this for folks who are listening story goes like this i installed microsoft office 2003 and all was good then I got an email from a colleague that asked me, uh, can you uh, uh, open publisher files my, uh, from Office? And I said, hmm, I'm not sure. Let me check. So I go into uh, all programs and then bring up uh, Microsoft Office. And I start looking down the list of applications for publisher. And I look down my eyes, read the words Microsoft, 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 Microsoft. I'm looking down the left side. And then I say, okay, let's look at the end of each line. And I see 2003, 2003, 2003, 2003. And then I go back, because each line is like a Microsoft Access 2003. Next one is Microsoft Excel 2003, right? And there's no contrast. Right, right, right. So then I put my eyes right down the middle. And I say, Mark, look right down the middle. Don't look left. And I read Access, Excel, front page. My eyes wander to the left because I'm naturally curious. I see Microsoft. And I tell myself, I discipline myself. I say, no, don't look to the left. Go back there. <laughs> I see front page, InfoPath, Outlook, PowerPoint. I see the P's in PowerPoint. I get excited. And then I go, no, it's not it. I see Publisher. Then I look immediately to the left of the icon and I say, remember that icon, remember that icon, remember that icon. <laughs> and I click it, right? And then and then I say, you know what? This sucks. And so I come back and I make some changes to the menu. I, I rename Microsoft Office to Office because I don't have Scooby-Doo Office installed. <laughs> Right? I just have Office. And I take the word, I take the word Microsoft away from the front of all the applications, and I take the year 2003 away at the end, and I'm left with simply Access Excel front page InfoPath. It's, there's clarity. Now, here's the thing. Do you ever think Microsoft would take your advice and, for the sake of clarity, remove the word Microsoft from the front and the word 2000-whatever from the next installation of Office. Do you think they would ever do that? Well, no, because I'm about to release Scooby-Doo Office, <laughs> and I'm going to take them down. <laughs> no, there are other reasons for this, right? Tech support is a good reason for this, right? Yeah, I Tech guess. support is a good reason, right? Um, however, there it does seem to me that there that there are things that they can do that this, by by nature, this what's in the start menu tends to be something that's very, very noisy. Right? Mark, I think we're out of time for today, but will you come back and do part two? No. Okay, awesome. I'm not. Never. <laughs> I'm not coming back. You guys made fun of me. Oh, man. <laughs> what can I say? It was awesome. I'll Making come back. fun of you was I'll awesome. I'll come back, but it'll be my revenge on you two. <laughs> okay. Until then, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes,